buckle up, because today I am going to take you back to September 12, 1952, when the small town of Flatwoods, West Virginia, permanently took its place in the history books. Welcome to The Secret Sits. I'm your host, John Dodson. Join us every Thursday as we uncover the secrets behind the world's most fascinating true crime cases. You can find all episodes of The Secret Sits for free on Apple Podcast, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you are hearing, reach out to us on Instagram and Facebook at The Secret Sits Podcast or on Twitter at Secret Sits Pod. Now, on with our story. Our story today takes place on a very special day, September 12th. Why is this date so special, you ask? Because that just so happens to be my husband's birthday. That's right, Gabriel Dodson, who masterfully edits my crazy true crime stories into what you hear as our finished product. And I have to say, Gabriel is not a lover of true crime like you and I, but he still puts in the hard work and makes me very proud to call him my husband. So, as a dedication to Gabriel, I am writing the type of story that we have never covered in two seasons of The Secret Sits a mysterious UFO encrypted story. Our story begins, as I said, on September 12th, 1952, exactly 30 years before Gabriel was born. It was 7.15 p.m. Dusk was just setting in. It is the golden hour as the sun is setting in the distance and everything is bathed in a warm glow of golden light. Some would argue that this is the best time of day for outdoor selfies, but I digress. Some young residents in the town of Flatwoods, West Virginia, which is located in Braxton County, were out playing football on the lawn of the Flatwoods Elementary School. These young residents were Ed May at 13 years of age, Ed's younger brother, Fred May, who was 12 years old, and their 10-year-old friend, Tommy, higher. As the boys were playing, suddenly a bright light streaked across the sky, just over their heads. The boys said that this object looked like a blazing fireball about the size of a small house. As the fireball passed over their heads, the boys watched as the mysterious object crashed just over the horizon of a hill close by. Because this is the 1950s, and a town in West Virginia of just under 300 residents, where everyone knows everyone, the boys knew that where the object had landed was on the property of one Mr. G. Bailey Fisher, a local farmer. The boys, of course, decided to run after the mysterious object and investigate. They could still see a red light pulsating from behind the hill where the object had landed. Laying between the elementary school and the crash site on the hill was Ed and Fred May's home. So on their way to check out this flaming ball from the sky, 
the group of young boys decided to stop by the May home to tell their mother, Kathleen May, what they had witnessed. Kathleen was a former teacher who now ran a local beauty shop. She was a spirited woman who was known to be fiercely independent. Kathleen May was startled by the children's story, and she immediately placed a call to 17-year-old Eugene Lemon. Gene, as he was known, was a National Guardsman who lived in town. Gene was known around Flatwoods as a fearless boy who had had many encounters with wild animals while he roamed through the woods. Gene rushed over to the May's house, accompanied by his dog, Richie. While waiting on Gene to arrive, several other children from the area also joined the group, which now totaled seven inquisitive humans and one loyal dog. After Gene arrived, the brood of children, along with Kathleen and Gene's dog, Richie, all headed out to view the crash site. This gaggle of humans and one dog traversed the quarter of a mile to the crash site, and as they crested the hill, they all observed a putrid, heavy mist which clung to the hillside and also a bright, pulsating red light. The smell was that of rotting eggs, which the group quickly recognized as the smell of sulfur. There was a small fence separating the group from the crash site, and so they decided to climb over the fence so they could get closer to their objective. Kathleen had some difficulty scaling the fence, and she landed on the opposite side of the fence with a great thud. Jean produced a flashlight and led the party the rest of the way to the pulsating red light, which seemed to be hovering just above the ground. As the ensemble stood there, transfixed by the pulsating red ball of light, suddenly, Jean's dog, Richie, began growling at something to the left of the group. Jean swung his flashlight to the left and aimed it at whatever had caught Richie's attention. As the flashlight darted around the darkened area, the group witnessed a chilling sight. Just before them, and right next to a large oak tree, was a terrifying, ten-foot-tall creature. This creature had a head shaped like a spade from a deck of playing cards, and it appeared to be wearing a dark green metal outfit shaped like a woman's dress. The creature had twisted hands with long claws at the end of its sinewy fingers, and there appeared to be two eyes which glowed from within with an unnerving orange light. The creature was not walking or standing. Instead, it appeared to be levitating above the ground. A strange, nauseating mist continued to grow and it clung to the air around where the fireball had crashed on the hill. The group of humans stared at this alien creature lit by the glow of Jean's flashlight, and then a loud thumping sound began to emanate from the creature, and it began to make a shrill, hissing sound. A dense cloud of mist escaped from the monster's mouth, and it began advancing toward the onlookers, quickly gliding through the dark night as the pungent smell permeated the air. At this, Gene promptly dropped his flashlight, and the group quickly turned on their heels and retreated into the night, terrified by what they had just witnessed. 
Ed and Fred May had somehow been sprayed with a mysterious dark oily substance that was already making them feel ill. As the group ran for their lives, one of the young boys wet himself as he ran. Kathleen, who had previously had difficulty scaling the small fence, suddenly turned into an Olympic athlete and she cleared the fence in a single leap as she ran. As the group arrived back at Kathleen May's home, she and Jean Lemon called Robert Carr, the Braxton County Sheriff. Additionally, they called the owner of the Sutton newspaper. Ed and Fred May were being cared for by their grandmother as she attempted to wipe the oily residue from their faces. Soon, though, both of the boys' throats began to swell, and they could not even swallow water. The sheriff was not available when Kathleen called the sheriff's office in Sutton because he was at a reported plane crash along the Elk River, south of Gassaway. This crash had been reported by Woodrow Eagle, who had seen strange streaks of red lights in the sky. When the sheriff was finally able to arrive in Flatwoods, a local newspaper man from the Braxton Democrat named Stuart Lee was already there. The sheriff listened to Kathleen's story, and he observed that the hill was still covered in a thick fog. As dogs approached this fog, they let out loud yelps and they would run away from the clinging haze. The following morning, Gene worked up his nerve and he volunteered to guide the men back to the scene of their terrifying encounter so they could investigate. The search team traveled to the area but they reported back that they found nothing on the hilltop of Mr. Bailey Fisher's farm. All that had remained at the site were some track marks in the grass and a strange oily residue. The sheriff also found some pieces of a black rubbery substance that he could not identify. The group of boys that had witnessed this strange alien encounter all soon began suffering with throat irritations, vomiting, and nausea which persisted for days. Local doctors said that these effects were simply side effects from their hysteria on that night. But these symptoms also mimicked the effects of exposure to mustard gas. It was reported that for over two weeks, Gene Lemon's throat was so sore he could not even swallow carbonated drinks without being in pain. One thing that was clear, all who had been present to witness this extraterrestrial being had suffered both psychologically and physiologically. The day after the arrival of this UFO and its extraterrestrial inhabitant, at approximately 6.30 in the morning, the director of the Board of Education called the Sutton newspaper to report that he had just witnessed a UFO taking off not far from his home. It was during this phone call that he was informed about the events of the previous night. The owner of the Sutton paper, Mr. Stewart, then traveled out to the site of the encounter to investigate for himself. Mr. Stewart also observed two tracks in the tall grass, along with some pieces of black plastic material that would not burn when he attempted to burn them. There was still a faint melodious odor that he could smell while he was close to the ground. When investigators went to the Lemon household, they were told that at the time of the landing, Miss Lemon 
which was Jean's mother, and a close friend were sitting at her dining room table having coffee. The small house began to shake so violently that their coffee spilled all over the table. The women stated that it felt as if the entire house would shake off of its foundation. The radio also suddenly turned off all by itself, only to mysteriously come back on 45 minutes later, all on its own. Not long before the September 12th sighting, there had been another report of a creature matching the same description. This sighting had been from one Miss Audra Harper. Miss Harper claimed that she had seen the monster while out walking through the woods near her home in the town of Heaters. Heaters is located just about five miles north of Flatwoods. Miss Harper had been walking to a nearby store with her friend. They avoided the road, which led out of her property, because it was covered in deep ruts and it was almost impassable on foot. Taking a shortcut through the woods would save them time during their trip to the store. Approximately half a mile into their trip, the two women noticed what appeared to be a ball of fire on top of one of the hills that they were passing. Miss Harper had dismissed the red ball of fire and assumed that one of her neighbors was out fox chasing. The women proceeded on, but after they passed the hill, Miss Harper looked back and she saw that the fireball had suddenly vanished. Where the fiery orb had been now stood a tall, dark silhouette of a human-shaped figure. Miss Harper and her friend, now terrified, ran to escape the creature, and they hid amongst the large rocks and boulders that dotted the hillside. The day following September 12th, and the infamous sighting of the alien creature in Flatwoods, there was another inexplicable sighting. This time, the creature was seen nearly 20 miles south of Flatwoods near Strange Creek. A young couple, George and Edith Snitowski, along with their 18-month-old baby boy, were driving through a rural area between Clay and Braxton counties on Route 4, when all of the sudden, their car just died right in the middle of the road. George got out of the car to check the engine, but he could not locate the source of the problem. He attempted to get the car to turn over, but no matter what he tried, the car would not cooperate. It was already dark out, and there were no other cars on this desolate stretch of road. As the couple sat, trying to decide what to do, suddenly the air around them began to smell. It was a distinct, sulfurous smell that clung to the air, and their baby cried out in the night. All of a sudden, the dark night was illuminated by a strange bright light, and contained in this inexplicable light was a ten-foot-tall monster. It seemed to be hovering just in front of their car. The difference in the monster that the Snitowskis saw and the one witnessed by the May clan was that this monster did not appear to be wearing its spade-shaped cloak. Instead, the Snitowskis could clearly see that this monster had an almost reptilian and bony-shaped face. As the monster hovered closer and closer to the couple's car, its long reptilian-like hands drug across the hood of the car, and then it floated over the car 
and into the nearby ruins. The couple was terrified. This had been the fright of their lives. But as soon as the monster disappeared out of sight, their car restarted and the couple drove away as fast as they could. The following morning, George Snitowski discovered a dark brown mark on the hood of his car. It almost looked like a burn mark, right where the creature had grazed its unnerving fingers across the car's hood. The story of the sighting on September 12th was picked up by the news cycle, with the newspaper proclaiming seven Braxton County residents on Saturday reported seeing a 10-foot Frankenstein-like monster in the hills above Flatwoods. This article was subsequently picked up by national radio and newspaper outlets. Kathleen May and Jean Lemon even appeared on the CBS News to talk about what they had experienced. All of these news reports led to an investigation by the United States Air Force as part of Project Blue Book, which was the government's investigations into alleged UFO sightings and alien encounters. Project Blue Book was more than likely less about investigating UFOs and alien encounters and more about Cold War concerns pertaining to Russian bombing planes appearing in U.S. airspace. UFO investigators Gray Barker, who was originally from Braxton County, and naturalist Ivan Sanderson both traveled to Flatwoods to do their own research on the events of September 12th. Sanderson arrived in town first on September 18th. The men explored the landing area and they interviewed all of the witnesses. After their investigation, both men concluded in a report that the group had indeed encountered an actual extraterrestrial craft and its alien occupant. In Sanderson's 36-page report, he states that at least five objects came over traveling in a straight line from the northwest to southeast. They go on to claim that several of these crafts crashed and were never recovered, but one craft landed outside Flatwoods and its occupant was able to exit the ship while wearing a protective suit before the craft disintegrated. A local school teacher suggested that a combination of the light from a nearby plane beacon and the fiery trail of a blazing meteor reflected in some manner to take the shape of a glowing monster. Another noted scientist said that if a meteor broke up over Flatwoods, a piece could have fallen to the ground, disintegrating into vapor that could rise up from the ground in the form of the monster. Then there were those who claimed that the aberration was a sign sent by God. We'll just move on past these people. One other suggestion was that the monster could have come from a Wisconsin cheese company, as they claimed that the monster could have been an inflatable rubber cow which they had launched on September 2nd as a publicity stunt. Sanderson rejected all of these explanations. So, we can now look at these events and try to reasonably discern what could have taken place on that fateful night. And this is where you should feel free to visit our social media and let us know what you think the Flatwoods monster may have actually been. 
but there was definitely something in the sky that evening, and our group of seven intrepid explorers did actually travel up that hill to find out what had taken place. The random formation of this group completely sets aside any form of hoax being perpetrated against the public. The group was too slapdash, and their ages were such a range that this group perpetuating a ruse is very unlikely. Looking chronologically at this event, the first thing we need to explain is the mysterious lights in the sky. It is important for us to remember that on June 24, 1947, Kenneth Arnold, a private pilot, claimed that he saw a string of nine shiny, unidentified flying objects flying past Mount Rainier at great speeds. This sighting was credited as being the first of our modern-era UFO sightings. This sighting came at the forefront of the space race between the United States and the Soviet Union. Because of this, people were constantly looking to the skies, expecting, wanting to see something they had never seen before, like a UFO. There was a meteor reported on this night that was seen across three states, including West Virginia, Pennsylvania, and Maryland. It is widely believed that one meteor had entered Earth's atmosphere, and it began to glow red-hot as it was heated by the friction in our atmosphere. At some point, the meteor most likely broke into pieces. The piece of this meteor seen by Ed and Fred May as they were playing football was most likely the same piece seen by Woodrow Eagle. Woodrow, not understanding what he had just seen, reported this to the sheriff as a downed aircraft. The next part of the story to examine is the strange sulfuric mist that covered the hillside and the pulsating red glowing object. The simplest explanation for this mist is this. All of this occurred in the Appalachian Mountains, which are quite often covered in a thick fog, depending on the time of year and the weather. The Braxton County Weather Report for September 12, 1952, had called for evening fog. The sulfuric smell, however, may be harder to explain. West Virginia is home to a number of natural sulfur springs, such as green sulfur springs, white sulfur springs, and blue sulfur springs. The group was not extremely familiar with the area around them, and it is possible there was a nearby cave that contained a sulfur pool. The pulsating red light observed by the original group of explorers could have simply been one of three airplane beacons which could be seen in that area. Due to the group's hysteria brought on by the alarming circumstances, the group most likely saw one of these beacons, and they saw it as much closer than it actually was. To the group, it appeared to be hovering right before them, but it was most likely really far away. The monster, as it was described, was most likely something truly mundane. The Committee for Skeptical Inquiry has suggested that the monster seen on that dark night was simply a barn owl. The owl was most likely perched on a tree branch, 
remember that the creature was floating next to an old oak tree. This would make the creature look tall in stature. The foliage of the tree below the bird was seen as a green armor in the shape of a dress. As barn owls are nocturnal, this incident took place at the time of night the owl would be out hunting for its dinner. Female barn owls have a reddish-brown plumage around their face, and the added light from Jean's flashlight must have made the animal look exaggerated and horrifying in the dark of night. As the light hit the owl, it took flight from its perch and cried out that there were intruders in her hunting grounds. The owl's outstretched talons appeared to the group as long, spindly hands. A barn owl's cry can be quite startling, especially in these scary circumstances. The sicknesses brought on by the encounter with the Braxton monster may actually simply be attributed to the group's hysteria, compounded by their physical exhaustion after having fled the scene so quickly. The story of the Flatwoods monster encounter was picked up by media outlets all over the country, and the National Press Service rated this story as number 11 for the year. These stories about the monster have now become local folklore, and officials in Flatwoods have erected welcome signs that designate the town as the home of the Green Monster. The monster, or alien, whatever you would like to call it, now has several monikers. The Braxton County Monster, the Sutton Monster, the Green Monster, and the Flatwoods Monster, just to name a few. And the town now has cultivated a fascinating culture around this legendary story. Every year, the town throws a Flatwoods Day festival, and in the town of Sutton, there is now a Flatwoods Monster Museum dedicated to the legend of this monster. Each year, the county of Braxton holds an annual Flatwoods Monster Fest in celebration of the famous alien encounter. This event includes a parade, live music, carnival games, a house decorating contest. The centerpiece for this festival is, of course, a pancake breakfast. If you choose to visit Flatwoods, you can stop in at The Spot, an ice cream shop that offers a photo opportunity with their painting of the monster. As Americana goes, you can purchase locally crafted souvenirs, a big moneymaker for the people of Flatwoods, including one resident who has sold over 1,000 12-inch tall ceramic figurines of the monster out of a gas station next to a Shoney's. Talk about iconic American tourism. The Braxton County Convention and Visitors Bureau also commissioned the building of five enormous chairs in the shape of the monster. Each chair serves as a landmark and visitor's attraction, and you can drive around and have your picture taken at each chair. The Visitors Bureau rewards visitors who get photos with all five chairs with a free Braxy sticker. Locals now lovingly call the once-feared monster Braxy. While some cryptids like Bigfoot or the Loch Ness Monster have been seen hundreds of times, 
Braxy, the Flatwoods monster, was only seen by just a handful of witnesses, and it was only seen on this one occasion. But that has not stopped Braxy from taking his place in the Hall of Legendary Monsters, and he has gained an international audience by frequently being added as a creature in popular video games. Fallout 76 and Everybody's Golf 4 both have an appearance by the Flatwoods monster, and Japanese video game designers noticeably gravitate towards this monster, as Braxy has appeared in several Japanese video games as an end-level boss that the player must defeat in order to move on in the game. My favorite Braxy appearance in a game is when he made an appearance in Zelda. I will finish our story today with this. Everyone is free to believe in whatever they choose, and that is what is so great about the United States. Whether we allow this to actually happen is all up to us. As human beings that have to share this giant rock we all live on, so go on believing what you want. Don't be afraid. There is at least one other person that will agree with you. But did the Flatwoods monster actually exist? We dance round in a ring and suppose, but the secret sits in the middle and knows. The Secret Sits podcast is researched and written by me, John Dodson. Audio engineering by Gabriel Dodson. Original logo artwork provided by Tony Leigh.